Season five is finally here, and I am so excited to say that myself, Miss Allie, Miss Emma, and Miss Kelly are all together for this first show. So excited about that. As you all know, we have finally said goodbye to 2020. So what can we expect to be the new trends, the new hip tech, the new hip concepts that are going into 2021? We cannot predict the future, but we can tell you guys what we think are the 21 trends that are going to be hip and happening for 2021. Thank you so much for listening to us. Welcome to season five of the Ladybug podcast. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Sydney. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma. And we're debugging the tech industry. Are you a developer looking for your next challenge? Meet Shopify. They're on a mission to make commerce better for everyone, and they do things a bit differently. They don't tell you how to solve problems. They give you the tools, trust, and autonomy to build new solutions. They don't want you to work alone. They're structured so you can leverage the diverse perspectives across teams in everything you do. And they don't pretend to have all the answers. They're big enough for you to tackle problems at scale, but small enough for you to discover and solve new problems. If you're a builder at heart who wants to solve highly technical problems, if you want to take all of your life experiences and apply them to a blank canvas, or if you want to access really powerful tools, Shopify is the place for you. Visit shopify.com careers today. Vonage is a cloud communications platform that allows developers to integrate voice, video, and messaging into their applications using their communication APIs. Whether you're wanting to build video calls into your app, create a Facebook bot, or build applications on top of programmable phone numbers, you'll have all the tools you need. Use promo code LADYBUG for 10 euro of free credit when signing up at vonage.dev ladybug. Again, that's promo code LADYBUG for 10 euro of free credit. Hey guys, how is it going? How was your holiday? Happy New Year to every single one of you. What is going on? Happy New Year. We made it. Yes. From that dumpster fire. Yeah. Just, yes. barely. <laughs> Just barely. <laughs> Just so barely. <gasps> the year is different now, but everything else is the same. I mean, we spent literally all morning with Slack down. So, you know, it feels very much like 2020 still. <laughs> Slack being down is almost a good thing for productivity. Let's be real here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it, it's, you know, one of the engineers over there is probably trying to give us, like, that one more day for, like, you know, just relaxation and things because it's the first Monday of the year. So, like, just be grateful. Be grateful that we don't have to deal with it just yet. So, I don't know. That's mm-hmm. how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm happy either way. I, I, I needed to talk to my team. Um, did you know that Zoom has a chat feature? Yes. Yes, it did. So we were just using Zoom to chat instead. Oh, that's great. (laughs) That's really awesome. We use Zoom specifically for our chat features. I I don't know if it's as secure as Slack. So I mm. wait, you don't have to have a video conference? No, no, no. Not at all. There's a whole chat, like there's a panel on on Zoom that says chat. It's between home and meetings. I hate it. Why are all these apps trying to like do everything? I'm sorry, Facebook dating? I don't don't even get me started. I'm done with that. 
<laughs> in any case, today we're here to talk about trends. So I think that we should start it off. And Sydney, I'm going to throw it over to you for the first one. Yeah. So, okay. Working remotely, I think is going to be one of the biggest trends that is out here coming into 2021, coming into the decade. Honestly, um, I uh, noticed while I was doing a little bit of research on this, NPR actually had done an article about this for a specific research paper. And the scientists that were doing this had found that in May and April of uh, 2020, they had found that half of the entire American workforce is actually remote. And I think that's hilarious because that was uh, super surprising apparently to them. And I, I don't know if you guys know this, that Facebook actually predicts that half of their workforce will be working remotely permanently. So I don't know, like this complete like shift in that perspective of like the ability to work remotely. What do you guys think of this? Because I think that there are a bunch of advantages as well as disadvantages to this. I think 2020 had a it was a big eye-opening moment for a lot of companies realizing that they had to shift to to work online, work remotely in order just to keep their doors open, their virtual doors open, that is. Um, but I would say 2020 was not so much working remotely as it was adapting to working during a pandemic. Um, I think we can all agree that working from home during a pandemic is very different from working from home when you just work remotely every single day of your life, as I have been doing for a very long time now. Right. Um, I think that a lot of companies have come to realize that their maybe their team is more productive when working remotely. Their team enjoys working remotely, so they're going to continue down that path. I think other companies are very eager to get back into the office, which I completely understand as well. You have to think of like the face-to-face -face interactions that a lot of people are going to be like lacking, I guess. And there's going to be like a lot of what is it zoom fatigue quote unquote that will probably be happening when it comes to all of these like emails and messages and meetings that people are going to have to like do now just because of all that sensory overload what were you going to say again Allie? oh no so i was just going to say that we have a full episode on working remotely so if you want to see like or hear a lot more of our input on this. But I was just going to say that for me, working remote is not something that I would choose first. My job is remote and my last couple roles have been as well. But I personally really like working with a group. That being said, I do think that the huge spread of remote work is a positive for so many people, whether that be parents or people who have disabilities that make working remote much more conducive for, for them. Um, and this is going to make it so that tooling and productivity in remote environments is going to improve because so many more people are doing it. So I see this as a net positive, even though I personally probably wouldn't choose to work remote, even though I have that option. That's fascinating. Cause like, I would absolutely love to start working remote. I think that permanently, like it has been a great advantage to just like my personal, I guess like aura, like just feeling of like that safe space that I have that I feel like I haven't necessarily always gotten when it comes to being in the world of men, especially in the tech industry where people are kind of like having a perspective where they don't necessarily see you as the most intelligent being in the room. So that's kind of like one of the negatives that I think that there is when it comes to like being in person. But I know that face-to-face -face communication is one of like the biggest kind of like what is it? Pillars of methodology for agile. So I totally understand where you're coming from with that, especially with the like teamwork and, and like face to face. But I don't know. I'm loving my energy of the home that I have right now. So I don't know about you guys. I would love to hear more from our audience about this. So 
make sure that you are tweeting, commenting, doing whatever, just to start kind of like rolling with the conversation. Okay. Next, I think we should talk about cloud security. Now, this one is going to be one of my favorites because um, this year was all about hacking. I don't know about you guys. SolarWinds had apparently been hacked. I think that is um, a specific program that the government uses. 250 plus police departments actually were hacked last year. That was exposing about 700,000 police officers' information. Um, oh, the biggest hack I remember, and Jarvis Johnson has, I think, the best commentary video on this uh, for the ramifications. Twitter. Twitter hack was the most hilarious and most chaotic oh, thing that, that I so have much ever fun. seen. Oh my gosh. Wait, what happened? All again? of the all of the blue check mark accounts got hacked and mm-hmm. people were sending all like tweets from all of them. So what Twitter ended up doing was just muting blue check mark people. And so anyone who was verified could not tweet. And then um I was I was on Clubhouse at the time. And so all the blue check marks just went to to Clubhouse to complain about how they couldn't tweet. And I was like telling them that, you know, give me five dollars and I'll tweet for you. So funny. What didn't it end up being like a teenager and then he only yeah. made like a couple hundred thousand dollars or something like that off of it. <laughs> I think we should put Jarvis Johnson's uh, commentary in the show notes because that if you guys have no clue about this, make sure that you go see that. I can link that in the show notes for you guys, but that is hilarious, but the whole like in general topic that I think that we should acknowledge here is that there was no good solution that was there for any type of security measures for what happened on Twitter. And so we are wanting to see more results on security being the forefront of uh, just cloud-based systems. And so Cybersecurity, solar, or gosh, solar, cloud security is going to be super important in 2020, making sure that people that are 2021, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, it's happening. It's already happening. For every time I say 2020 <laughs> instead of 2021. That, that sounds good. I, I would and participate then you just, in that. You, you pay it out to the three of us at the end of the season. Oh, yeah. is that what I'm going to do? See, I was going to take yeah. myself out to, out to eat as soon as I'm allowed to step in a restaurant again. Yes, that you, sounds perfect. You might have to invest that money. It might be a while. Anyway. (laughs) You know, I I think that'd be great. Um, Having (laughs) to make sure that you are building out security systems for the cloud, making sure that you monitor vulnerabilities exactly like Twitter should have done, as well as recommending like innovative technologies for uh, like other like enhanced security practices and measures for developers to follow. Like that needs to happen. So come on Twitter and come on cloud security. Let's do this. I think that'd be great. Uh, What is it? Google has their own cloud security cert. I think AWS as well. So I don't know, guys. I I think that's something that you might want to check out. Might be worth, I would say. I don't actually don't know like much at all about cloud security or making anything secure. So I'm more of the team like cross my fingers and hope for the best, which is why I don't run any large scale applications. That's that's fair. That's totally fair. Or small scale applications for that matter. That's fair. I mean, it's something at least worth to kind of like look into for all of these bigger companies and like just making sure that there is a better way to secure everybody's data. That is all we are asking. I I feel like that's a pretty good ask. I don't want my data all the way out in the dark web. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right. I'm going to do the next one. 
and that is decentralization of tech workers, uh, which is different from working from remote or working remotely, but has re- the, the, the remote work trend has had a significant impact on decentralization of tech workers, basically meaning that you don't have to be living in San Francisco to be working for a large tech company or whoever you want to work for. Um, I think this is de- this is a trend I'm very excited about because it provides so many more opportunities for people who have you know zero interest or can't for any reason or for whatever reason live in a larger city. Um, they're able to still work for their dream companies. I'm sorry. I feel like too it would also get rid of the the bullshit excuse of like we can't find diverse candidates. Ding 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 ding. Like, that's not an excuse. Let it happen. That would be super awesome. Like, I've seen other articles on NPR talking about how Facebook wants to have, like, smaller mini hubs of their offices in Denver and Atlanta. Like, you have so many of these, like, smaller, like, tech communities that aren't necessarily, like, quote-unquote hubs, like, in New York and in the Bay Area and things. And so, you know, I I would love to work for some of these FANG companies and FANG, like, smaller kind of subsets. And so, like, being kind of in the Midwest, it's going to be either I'm remotely working or I'm going to have to haul my ass somewhere else to do so. And Honestly, like we're just going to have to see what happens with that because uh, I don't want to have to haul ass to San Francisco just to do that. No, thank you. So I can't just that like, you know, this would alleviate a lot of the issues that some people, for example, my mom told me the story when she had a coworker whose son was severely disabled and all of his doctors were in their location. And when IBM decided that they wanted to abandon co-location or they wanted to move towards co-location from working remotely, they told him he had to relocate his entire family uh, or lose his job. And his response was like, well, my son's specialists are here. And they were like, sorry, we don't what care. Bullshit. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, there are so many reasons why um, moving away from co-location and, and instead decentralizing this are beneficial to people above and beyond diversity. Um, but that is a definite, um, big key advantage of decentralized. And even just the expense of it too, if you, prices in San Francisco have dropped this year, (laughs) rent and, and, uh, purchasing, but it's still way more expensive than pretty much any other city that I have seen. And so, it it costs a lot of money to live in these big cities and allowing people to live elsewhere and places that fit them better is is a great thing i think absolutely i hope that we'll see more of that this year definitely how about what is it next frame emma. emotion all right emma let's see what you got for this so i don't think it's a secret that i like to make things move <laughs> um <laughs> Could I have said that any weirder? Probably. Um, we did an ep- we did when I don't remember when our episode on micro interactions was. I can't remember if it was last season or the season before. But we've done a micro interactions and animation library episode that are it's going to be linked in the show notes. But during that, I discussed React Spring and uh, previously all of my conference talks were using React Spring, but. This year, I've really gotten interested in Framer Motion, and I was taking Scott Talinsky's Framer Motion course. And let me tell you, this library is the best animation library I've ever used. Um, Framer, in and of itself, is a tool that you can use to create 
um, like interactive mock-ups or um, what are those called? Interactive mock-ups, like a dem- not demos. No. Um, wireframes. Yeah. You know, and it, like, yeah, interactive wireframes. Yeah. Um, but you can use React within it. So it's really great for designers and developers. But they've also developed this library called Framer Motion. And it integrates with React. Um, it's a lot more intuitive than React Spring, in my opinion. And it seems like it's catching on. So I am very excited to kind of major in this this year. And I'm excited to see what other people build with it. That's awesome. Especially because that seems to really bridge the gap between designer and developer communication if it's more like a design tool than a development one but you can still then have code that's produced from that they are the one company i have seen do this so well and i had visited them in amsterdam they invited me to their um offices and they were so incredibly smart and um welcoming i highly recommend them as a company but also as a product and what was the class that you said again uh for what you were looking at for frame of motion it was scott talinsky's uh course on level up tutorials i've linked it in our show notes nice 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 nice. yeah all right meta frameworks so uh, there's a bunch of these i feel like uh ali what do you think what are your takes yeah so over the last year and i think this is going to be even more the case this year there's been this growth of frameworks built on top of frameworks, or we had this debate like whether they're frameworks or libraries, but it's like React and Vue are no longer enough. You need to have something built on top of React or Vue. So one that we've talked about before is Gatsby, but there's also Next, Nuxt, Nest, Remix. These are all frameworks that are built on top of these other frameworks or front-end libraries, and they make development so nice, in my opinion, and they have a lot of tools built into them that are going to, I think, really change the way that we're writing front-end code. So I'm really excited about them, and they're starting to kind of delve into how you do data management as well, so they're almost becoming kind of full stack in ways. So I think I'm kind of seeing this as like the next Rails or something like that. Like this could really change the way that people build applications. And I'm excited about it. That's a cool accusation. I love it. Can we normalize creating um, applications that don't have NXT (laughs) or NST? Yeah. Because I confuse the shit out of whether it's for Vue, React. Like, I don't care. I don't know. I'm confused. Let's find a new word. Yeah. So... (laughs) Nest or next is for React, <laughs> Nuxt is for Vue, and Nest is for Node. I, I hate yes. it. Whoever did that, I don't like. I, I think don't. it's so that it mentally links them, so that you kind of think of them as like a family. But it is annoying that they all rhyme and they all are yes. very similar words. You know what? Until you've grown up with somebody who has a very similar name as you, you do not respect the similar names, the alliterations or anything like that, because I just want to be known as my name personally. And imagine how next feels every single time it's called Nuxt. Oh my God. That like because having to spell it wrong too. Yeah. That's <laughs> yikes. That's horrible. I don't know. Like Ali, which one do you think that you would want to use like more in the future? I think next is the one that I'm most interested in and the one that's really gaining traction. If you see their graph of users, it's pretty much like a straight line up right now. So I'm excited about it. It is so developer friendly. One of my favorite things about Gatsby was that 
you could create a file and it would create a page for you. So you don't need to use like React Router or anything like that. And Next has that built in, but it doesn't require that you use um, GraphQL or all the other bulky things that Gatsby necessitates that you use. So it's like almost a stripped down version of that, but with all of the nice features built in. So I think it's really great. I like writing React and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about other front-end frameworks, but I love writing React. (laughs) And so the fact that Next makes React more performant due to server-side rendering, I I think that that's a really huge forefront. Um, I think that Nuxt is really great as well because it's written in Vue, and Vue is another great front-end framework. But those are the ones that I'm most interested in personally. But all of them are great. And I think it's really cool Remix's model where they're not open source and you have to pay for a license. I think that that's actually really interesting as well because I feel like everything has to be open source now, but mm-hmm. how do you get paid for that? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool that their their creators are actually putting it behind a paywall and making it so that people do need to buy licenses for it. I agree. Support paywalls. Yeah, yeah. People pay, pay pay creators for their work. Pay creators it's like for their work. Trends and things, right? It's like yes. First, everything's behind a paywall, and then everything's open source. And now yeah. this is the first thing to go back behind a paywall. Paying creators is like the least controversial controversial. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> make sure that you uh, make sure that you see our what is it content creation episode. Uh, I oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. pay us. Make yeah. sure that you pay us. Yeah. That being said, I I definitely do see the downside of this specifically, just because it's going to make it so much harder for new developers to learn it, like people who haven't gotten their first developer job yet, it's going to be hard for them to pay for a license, but I'm sure that they'll figure out ways around that. It's just some, it's a downside that I do see to it. I will say though, it also depends on who their target audience is. If their target audience isn't new developers, then it's a non-issue. Very true. Very true. On to the next one, which is headless content management systems. So headless CMSs. Um, I am going to be talking about e-commerce many times throughout this because this is what I do for a living. Hooray, hooray, surprise, whatever. (laughs) Um, So whenever we do any headless builds, we have to use a headless CMS to actually maintain the data. Um, There are tons of them out there at this point, but Contentful, Sanity, Strappy, Builder, and Netlify CMS, I think are probably five that I come across most. Full disclosure, I'm an advisor for Builder. I have to say that. I think, but I just did anyway. Um, I love using these headless CMSs because, again, when you're doing like a, uh, you're using like a meta framework for your project, like I do, uh, like a, I, I use, I write in Vue a lot, so I'm more, I'm more team Nuxt personally. Um, but it's easy to incorporate one of these headless CMSs into it, so you can easily manage the data on your site. We're currently in the process of rebuilding our site to uh, the Taproom site to uh, to use. I think we decided on Netlify CMS. Um, so I'm excited to use it. It's been in the works for a year and a half now. So nice. <laughs> Shameless plugging. Shameless <laughs> plugging. I love it. That's awesome. Do any of you have experience with headless CMSs? No. Yeah. Not at all. No. I think they're really awesome tools for having the nice user experience that is less for developers. So you can have your like content people your or people. your marketing people actually using this site and then still have the developer-friendly experience of 
not having to write a full backend for your application. So it's almost like a backend as a service or something along those lines. Oh, interesting. That's why I love it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Codebox, Codebox, Code Codebox. Sandbox, and uh, online IDs. I don't know, guys. I don't know how to talk. I, I just, I don't know. It, it's, it's the fourth. It's the fourth. It's January. Talking's overrated. Let's normalize not talking. <laughs> it's going to be the best podcast ever. Podcast. We're just not going to talk. <laughs> Making ASMR sounds. We just do <laughs> You know what we do? You know those you know those viral Facebook videos of people holding up signs and like yeah. dropping <laughs> yeah. like with the next sentence? We're gonna do that for our next podcast. But anyway, let's talk about Code Sandbox because what Eves has built. So Eves, oh goodness, I can't remember his last name. We'll link his profile, his Twitter down in the show notes. Eves is an amazing um developer from the Netherlands, and he single-handedly built so Code Sandbox. Um, he was very young when he built it, and he's now very successful. I think they've Van just gone through. <laughs> Van Horn. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So that um, they have just gone through some rounds of funding, VC funding, and they've raised a ton of money. Code Sandbox is the online IDE that I use to develop um, React applications. I use it when I create a lot of my courses. Code Pen is also good, but I find it to be a little bit more amateur for full-scale applications, but Code Sandbox is nice because you can do like Parcel, like vanilla JavaScript with Parcel. You can do React, you can do Vue, you can do a bunch of other stuff, and you can auto-deploy it through Netlify, which we'll talk about later in this episode. Um, I, I find it to be absolutely the best online. There are so I have many... never used one before. Yeah, I haven't either. Oh, there are so many that are great. I have used Cloud9 for teaching workshops in the past, especially for like brand new people who don't have a text editor installed. You can just take them to a link and then they can write code on there. Um, um, oh, I didn't know that you could do that with Cloud9. Like I've used it maybe once in like a class a long time ago. That That's fascinating. I know that they like dismantled it, right? Cloud9? I think it belongs to AWS now, actually. Oh, exclusively. But okay, I, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I used to use it like way back in the day for teaching things. And it was like a first rudimentary version of this. And now there are so many more. But doesn't GitHub now have a hosted version of VS Code? So you can write, you can use VS Code live online now, I believe. I've seen a couple of people tweeting about it. I haven't tried it out myself yet, but I know that we were really looking into this when I worked at Dev2 so that you didn't have to get a Ruby environment set up on your computer. You could just like develop on one of these online IDEs. So I'm not sure exactly which one they they use for that, but I know that that's something that you can do. Awesome. I might, I'm going to check Pretty that cool. out myself. Ha, ha, ha. Low code is our next trending topic. Allie, you want to take this away? Yes. So low code is really exciting to me because code is expensive, right? Hiring developers and people to maintain your code in the future is not something that is cheap for companies. And if you're somebody who is an indie founder or somebody who is creating a product by yourself, maybe you don't want to learn a ton of code or write a bunch of code up front in order to get just a product to market as fast as possible. And so there has been this idea of no code, which is where you can have an application that nobody has to write any code for. So think of things like Squarespace, where you can build a website just by dragging and dropping things or just picking out a template. Or things like Airtable or Google Sheets or any of these tools that allow you to 
not have code, but have some sort of product out there. Well, I think those are great, but it's really hard to extend them. So if you want to do something custom or you want to go beyond the norm for those, it's really difficult. And so this is where this idea of low code comes in, where you can have some sort of code generator or tool that you can use to have a starting place for your code, but then you get to write the code yourself on top of that. So it's really extendable. So this is something that I'm really, really excited about and I think is a really important forefront that makes application development more easy for the sorry, for the independent developer and also makes it so that you have to learn less in order to get things out there. It's also probably going to be more affordable too, because you don't have to hire as many developers. So maybe this is scary for us as developers that maybe our jobs are going to become a little bit different, but it's something that I think is going to be the future of like code that kind of writes itself. As long as not, as we're not like being replaced by robots, I couldn't care less. So that, that sounds awesome. I I'm, I'm excited to see more of that. The nice thing about a career in programming is that somebody has to build these tools. Exactly. So there's always going to be a job for us. There it is. <laughs> you heard it here. TypeScript. <laughs> TypeScript. Oh. oh my goodness. My, <sighs> my friend has been like, hey, since you are not in love with Java and more in love with JavaScript, you might want to learn OOP with TypeScript. And I'm just like... No, but Emma, maybe you'll be able to convince me. <laughs> I don't think I can because I hate TypeScript. Okay, that's not true. <laughs> I, okay, look, I love TypeScript when it works. I hate TypeScript when it works. Um, <laughs> I hate when it works, but my code doesn't work and it yells at me. Um, so TypeScript is really great um, for a lot of things, especially because it helps developers not make a lot of mistakes with um, the types of data they're expecting or, I don't know, silly mistakes that you make while you're coding. Um, but when you get into these object schemas, I don't even know what they're called because I, I haven't studied it enough. But when we have these massive objects, so like for Spotify, for example, if we take the example of uh, a song or a yeah, song, song has an artist, it has a release date, it has an album, it has an album release date. And these objects are severely nested within each other, um, the properties are, and Validating these types against each other can be very tricky. If like one small property is off, the whole type is going to throw an error. Those are the things I really struggle with, but TypeScript is very, very useful. And I think everyone, I think it's great for large enterprise applications. I wouldn't use this on a side project necessarily. Um, but Stefan Baumgartner um, just published a book with Smashing Magazine called The 50 Lessons, uh, TypeScript and 50 Lessons. And I have it and it is wonderful. And I just started reading it. I highly recommend if you're going to start learning TypeScript to, to check that out. It's very beginner friendly. Um, yeah, that is my spiel about TypeScript. I feel like <laughs> most people who I talk to who have some kind of experience with TypeScript, they either love it or they just do not like it at all. I've also seen this curve of people hating it at first and then they begin to love it. Like I feel like there's so many people that I see on Twitter who are just like hating on TypeScript, hating on TypeScript. And then someday they post this tweet that's like, now I actually love it. It's pretty funny. There, there's just, this seems to be this like very steep learning curve potentially. I think TypeScript is cool. I, I like the idea that you can have type safe JavaScript and it gets around a lot of the common issues that people have with JavaScript. So 
I and I it is definitely more difficult to write than JavaScript by itself and takes a little bit more time. But I think that the benefits of it are really real. And for, again, large scale applications, they are it's or it is definitely the way to go. One of my coworkers keeps saying that like TypeScript is the what is it like JavaScript's like older nice cousin that's like the rich and posh one where you have like JavaScript is that like wild wild west like really dirty really nasty kind of like programming and everything and I'm just like where did you get all of this like messiness from like stay in your lane sir so I I, I don't know <laughs> what are you saying another fun thing with TypeScript is you know VS Code how you can do all the auto imports and the types of things are inferred for you and you can do all these like really nice things within VS Code. The reason you can do that is because of TypeScript and VS Code is written in TypeScript. So I don't know. That's another pro in my book. I don't know. Are you guys pro or against TypeScript? I didn't know that VS Code was written in TypeScript. Maybe I should learn. I have zero opinion on TypeScript. Microsoft actually owns it. So I think most Microsoft things are going to be using TypeScript. That's fascinating. Yeah. But I, I think I'm on the same page as Emma where I haven't put in enough time yet to be like a pro at it or anything like that. And I think it's definitely not the way to go for small projects, but I can definitely see the benefit of it. You heard it first here. The Ladybug podcast officially, not officially, says that TypeScript is okay. Just okay. <laughs> I feel like that. Yeah. We'll, we'll just put it at that. We'll just go with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now we're getting into progressive web apps. So I feel like these have definitely picked up steam over time. Um, I have never been uh, one for native app development, which is why progressive web apps were so enticing to me because it allows you to use modern APIs and, and modern code frameworks and everything to be able to build an app that is sort of installable on your on your mobile device. It's a terrible description of PWAs, but I'm going with it. They're a thing and I like them. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Do you use them for a lot of your clients? Um, we use them for headless commerce builds. So if we're doing like for regular Shopify stores, no, not at all. Um, but if we're doing a headless build, we do build a, it is a progressive web app. Um, so we use a a framework called Nacelle for that. Um, I'll link it in the show notes and they basically handle the entire data layer for you. So you don't have to do any of that and you just get to focus on the front end, which is all I really know how to do. So it's a, it's a good trade-off. That's awesome. We dev two is a progressive web app, and so that was something that we really focused on while working there. Was making sure that it was offline ready. Is that's like one of the biggest things with progressive web apps is that there needs to be something there when your application is offline, um, which is really cool. The I think the biggest problem with them and the reason that they're not like universally accepted is that they're less cross platform ready than one might hope. Uh, I think for a while, the Internet Explorer didn't support them, but I think Edge does yeah. now. But it's like very recent that Edge supports them. I could yeah, be wrong Edge, that, Edge does now. But you're right. The the offline component is very in, a very important part of this. Uh, and it's actually one of my one of my favorite things about it, because like when you're talking headless commerce, if your site goes down like your customers won't be able to check out, but they're still able to browse the store and add things to their cart. So when Shopify is back up again, you can actually go ahead and check out and process your order. 
And one other thing to note is we were talking about meta frameworks earlier, and a lot of them have progressive web app functionality built into them really easily. So for example, Gatsby, you have to add like two lines of code to make it a progressive web app. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I learned I learned the process of how to actually turn uh, like one of those meta frameworks, how to add, uh, well, specifically for Nuxt, um, to add the, the progressive web app web app functionality, which is, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the word now of what is what it is that you need to add in there. But it's not very difficult, which is the point, I think. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's fair. Now I'm going to Google it while we're still talking. Perfect. I'm going to interrupt you when I remember what it is. <laughs> manifest. That's the word I was looking for. Oh, yeah. Like the manifest.json. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Emma, do you want to talk about styled components? I think that would be fine. Good. <laughs> I don't know. I'm in a weird mood. Okay. So um, styled components was... Um, not created by Max Joyber. Um, I'm kidding. It was. Um, so <laughs> Max is great. I only say that because he like posts about it every chance he gets. But you should be proud. It's an awesome, awesome technology. Style Components is wonderful. It is a CSS and JS library that allows you to style components in <laughs> JavaScript. <laughs> um, I don't really know how else to kind of describe it. I was very hesitant about CSS and JS when I first learned that paradigm. But the more that I learn it, the more I really like it. It helps to stop it. It's really the only, I believe, one of the only technologies that's a lot that properly allows you to scope your styles to your components because, you know, CSS is not scoped, which means you can have styles in one CSS file that bleed into others and you get weird styling in your components and you don't understand where it's coming from. Um, SAS and LESS are, are two preprocessors. I think we've probably discussed these in our CSS part two episode that Aim, their goal was to superficially scope your styling, but again, you know, nothing was stopping it from bleeding out. So CSS and JS, styled components specifically, are are something to watch for this year. I highly recommend learning them if you haven't already. Um, again, Scott Talinsky has an amazing styled components course. I've taken it twice. I've loved it both times. Um, highly recommend learning it. Cool. Good to know. That's awesome. It's awesome. fun, too. I don't know. I like the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way that it kind of allows you to build almost everything at once. And it feels almost like you're building your own little like component library when you use it, even though that it's a little different than that, but it is fun. Like specifically for what is it? Vanilla JS and just like with CSS, just like very like raw JavaScript and CSS. Is that what you're meaning? Yeah. Yeah. So you'd be like in your, in your react file, you would put like style.div and you'd have two backticks. And inside those backticks, you just write normal mm-hmm. CSS and you use that tag in your, your JSX. Um, it's, it's super intuitive, super, and it's very powerful because you can do um, props, you can mm-hmm. pass props, you can theme, you can do so many amazing things. Nice. Yeah. That's good to know. All right. Next on our list is AI and machine learning. Oh my goodness. Uh, I know only a little bit about this. I know that, Allie, you were definitely a little bit more interested uh, in this. So do you have your two cents to say? Fun fact, before I started the whole content creation thing, I was actually thinking about going and getting my master's in artificial intelligence or machine learning. And I decided against it. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it would have been probably a net negative for, for my career <laughs> to some extent, but uh, it was something that I was really thinking about pretty seriously. And 
I think the most interesting thing about it is that most of the forefronts in our industry are probably going to be in these realms. I, I think that they're already becoming huge, but there's so much further that we can go with them. And this ability to have computers build these really, really sophisticated models to predict certain actions and things like self-driving cars are going to be based off of these. And so I, I think that really the next generation of technology is going to be so reliant on these two. So I think that they're really great things to learn if you're looking for some sort of specialization. I also think that the ethical conversation here is really interesting as well because they could be really used for bad in a lot of ways. And so how are ethics going to come into play here? Are they going to be ignored? But we're so early on with these technologies that there's really the ability to shape the conversation and make it so that there is a little bit more of an ethical guideline here. I love it. I in the, the the short period of time after grad school where I had an almost normal job um, before <laughs> going freelance, uh, I had a fellowship at the CDC. Um, they they needed somebody who had their master's in public health who knew how to code. Um, I was the only applicant, and I got the job. Woo! Um, the the project was actually really interesting though. It was a machine learning project to help. Uh, like epidemiologists who are out in the field. This is during Ebola, like the like the ramp up of Ebola, and be able to when they when they don't really have like a strong data connection where they can look up whatever they need. We can help uh, based on the queries. We can help them pinpoint what resources they're actually going to need uh, in real time in order to help them with whatever research they're actively doing. Um, the I think the project actually. Well, I guess I have not been there for for four years now, I think. Um, time is a blur. And I think it would have been a really cool project. But as most things tend to happen at the federal level, they get shut down and everyone gets moved to a different team. So I don't think it actually panned out. But it was a fun experiment. It was my first kind of foray into machine learning and AI. And I got to learn a little bit of Python. So it was worth it. That's really, really cool. Our next topic is alternative interface development. So uh, making kind of different versions of the chatbots that we see today, like Siri, like Alexa, like Google Home, I have absolutely no experience with making any chatbots because honestly, I'm very scared of them. I do not like them listening into my conversations. I don't like them hearing about what recommendations that I need to like buy and things when it comes to advertisements. I don't know about you guys with any more of this information like they scare me they scare me half to death yeah i can say it um this is not from the development perspective but from the seo perspective long tail keywords are becoming more and more uh popular because of these uh these speech uh speech patterns that we're using when we're when we're performing queries when we're talking to alexa or we're talking to a siri or we're talking to whoever um i also get annoyed when I'm having a conversation with my husband in the car and I decide to look something up and like finishes the question that I had just asked Daniel. So not personally a fan. He actually has all of the all of the 
microphone stuff shut off on his phone with the exception of the actual phone app. That's interesting. And then like having to make sure that I know that people are starting to develop like more and more like kind of like those interesting like relationships be uh, like with all of these chatbots and things like I'm noticing on my phone now that Siri has a bit more of a personality and things like I don't know have you guys like noticed that like I, I'm telling you that scares me half to death. This is like that's weird. I don't actually ever use Siri on my yeah, phone. Me so neither. like that she tells that. jokes now and everything. And but like she tells them like in just like a normal, like if I just were to tell you a joke right now, like that's how she would sound. Like <laughs> I just what do programmers like use to what is it? Flavor their soup. A bullying cube. Like she sounds like that, and that like scares me half to death. It just it's, it's a trend. It's a great trend. I'm sure that people will be heavily reliant on using all of these chatbots and using like much uh, diverse, much more different ways to actually evolve their like little chatbots and things. But that is a no for me, guys. Like I, I don't want it. I, I'm totally okay without it. I only use Siri to like do timers when I'm baking or something. I've never used it. Me neither. So. I do have a Google Home though, and I find it very helpful for like telling it to set a timer when I'm cooking or whatever, and your hands are messy. That being said, from a development perspective, I think it's really interesting because all of us have been or developed front ends for applications, and they're visual front ends. So they're things that people can click on and interact with that way. But this is another user interface, but this time instead of it being a visual interface, it's either like a text based interface or uh, interface that you talk to. And I think that that's a really interesting problem going forward. And how is this going to grow in the future? And how as developers can we adapt to that? And also like how we can make them much more secure, like not being able to like show our searches and our records all through the interwebs and everything. Like I, I, uh, that's why I don't personally use Siri and all these other chatbots very closely uh, but I, I'm hoping that one of the trends this year, kind of like going with security is like making sure that our data is much more safe while we're interacting with these. Agreed. Yeah. Allie, do you want to take the next one? Yeah. So this is a, more of a family than what I have down here, but Svelte and other more minimalistic web frameworks are really interesting to me. Svelte, I feel like is on top of this hype train right now. Like people are talking about it, like crazy, but it really puts performance first. And there are a family of frameworks that does this. So Svelte, Preact, HyperApp, et cetera, they're all kind of growing in popularity. And I think the idea of having the benefits of some structure in your code and having some of the wheels built in for you, but not having to have the heaviness that we've seen with especially React. Uh, I think that that's going to be a really interesting forefront for for development. And people seem to really, really enjoy Svelte. I've seen a lot of React developers recently really, really enjoying it. Personally, I really like that with React, it puts such an emphasis on functional programming. And I think that that architecture I'm really used to and Svelte doesn't emphasize that as much, but I do think that this trend is really interesting and something that I want to learn more about this year. Nice. Can't wait to hear more from you from that. Emma. Kelly. It is your turn to speak. 
<sighs> well, I suppose if I have to, I'll bring up. I, I need to stop being so pessimistic. I think I just was worn out from last year, but it's fine. Let's change gears. So let's talk about chakra and tailwind. Um, so <laughs> chakra UI is absolutely wonderful. It is a simple modular accessible component library that gives you the building blocks you need to build your React applications. Um, Chakra UI, we used it my last job, but I am a huge proponent of it. I think Shagun, the, the guy who created it, is extremely intelligent. I admire him a lot. Um, and I like Chakra specifically because it's unopinionated about styling. A lot of... Um, what am I looking for? Uh, like component libraries that we see are opinionated because they come from design systems or other types of libraries. So Bootstrap, for example, um, or Material Design, Material UI, these are examples of component libraries that have opinionated styling. And if you want to use it, your application will look like them or you have to override a bunch of styling. So Chakra UI is specifically is really great because you get all the accessibility out of the box that you would get with these other component libraries, but you don't have to sit there and override a bunch of styling. Um, Tailwind CSS is another component library I have not used, but it is very hot on the market. It's very much the same so in the sense right that now. it's unopinionated about styling. Yeah, it's getting hot in here. So Let's hot. look at all the code. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those two, Chakra UI and Tailwind CSS, I think are going to be a lot more adopted, a lot hotter this year as they already were. Uh, yeah. I've been using Tailwind for a lot of side projects right now, and it does make writing CSS pretty fast. It has all these like utility classes for you. That being said, and this is going to get real hot takey here, is I feel like it's so similar to Bootstrap. Like even the way it looks to me feels like a little bit like Bootstrap. And also the just number of classes that you need in your HTML or your JSX or whatever, there's so many of them. And it really aesthetically bothers me a little bit. So I don't know. <laughs> there's that. There's that negative. Oh, but I, I oh do no. think that it looks really good without a lot of work, which is nice. But just something to note is that it does feel a little bit to me like we're going back to the days of Bootstrap. Unofficial <laughs> declaration. Ladybug mm -hmm. Podcast does not mm -hmm. love using Bootstrap. It seems like not not super big on that. I get it. Oh, no. I think Bootstrap is 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 great in a lot of ways. Like it makes developing super CSS great. Super fast and but I think that there is a reason that maybe we moved We've away evolved from a little a bit. bit. Like, yeah. 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 Maybe a lot of sites were looking the same and I think that that might be a trend that you're seeing with Tailwind oh, too man. is that like oh, all yeah. these new product <laughs> startups they're all using Tailwind and you can kind of spot it a mile away. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just we have the similar problems with Tailwind that there were with Bootstrap. And that's not yeah. necessarily the biggest negative, but it just is what it is. All right. So the next one I want to talk about is Netlify and Vercel. So these are serverless deployment platforms that are uh, for web applications that make it really, really, really easy to get, get up and running and launched quickly. Um, I think they both have free plans as well. So you're able to also, you know, I, I, my site is uh, deployed on Netlify. Um, and I absolutely love using it. It is so easy, like as easy as connecting your GitHub repo. And then when you uh, merge into main, it deploys your site. And it also will deploy when you create like a, a, a 
pull request as well. I know Vercel does branches um, or, or does commit level uh, deployments as well. Does does Netlify? I don't think so. I probably set it up. I'm not sure though. Yeah. Anyway, it's super handy, especially when you're doing some kind of iterative development and need to, you know, test things out before actually uh, merging them into uh, into main. And I am I I I think this just made deploying web apps so significantly easier. Um, I've I've used both Netlify and Vercel a number of times now, and I I love them both. Nice. Can we just also mention the fact that Netlify has the absolute dream team of yes, and then. Employee base, like between Sarah Drasner, Cassidy, Jason Langsdorf, who else we got on there? I mean, so many incredible people. It's a good selling point for Netlify as well. <laughs> yeah, that's really it. That's why you should use their product. <laughs> well, to be fair, if they if a company actually cares enough to hire really amazing people, um, I think that's like that shows what they're if they're investing in people. Yeah. I think that's yeah, important. it's gonna be even more of an amazing product if you're making sure that the people are like amazing as well so yeah agreed i think we should get squishy and talk about responsive design oh my goodness squishy yikes gross squishy i don't know if i like that word okay so i know that emma and i are gonna kind of like share this i feel like responsive design is always going to be something that is needed for the different viewports that people have when it comes to tablets when it comes to your desktop when it comes to your phones and i don't know like i have always felt like with css grid uh you need to make sure that that is for like the whole general layout and then like flexbox that is specifically focused on like the alignment of whatever designs that you want to do so i i don't know like do you have any hot takes on that, Emma? I will say I learned Flexbox before I learned CSS Grid, which I guess yeah. is probably pretty common. I did too. I think that's common because it's a little bit easier because you're thinking in one dimension versus two. So here's the thing. You should be using both. You should be using them together. It really depends on your use case. So anything one dimensional. So for example, if you need to center a list of navigation items in your nav bar, that's one dimensional. Um, that should be done with Flexbox. If you are making a full page layout or developing a, a custom card component, that should use Grid with potentially Flexbox internally. Um, so there's no one size fits all. It really depends on your use case. That makes sense. That makes sense. Good to know. Any other hot takes on that? <laughs> um, not a hot take, but there are some good front end masters courses on learning these. We have a whole episode on this too. There are some good front end master's courses on there. I will say that was it that one? Maybe um I think the the teacher has a very specific teaching style. Again, we've I think we've talked about how we learn in previous episodes, but she did not teach to my teaching style because it was a lot of like I'm going to show you something and you just go off and do it, but the examples were kind of contrived. And so just be aware, like if you're struggling with that specific tutorial, it's not you. I also struggled with it. And there are a ton of resources out there for you. Absolutely. We'll make sure that we link some of our favorites, I think in the description box or show notes, (laughs) Um, whichever one, I don't know. Are we on YouTube or are we actually doing the podcast guys? Yeah. Next one (laughs) that we want to have a uh, nice trending topic conversation about is Dino. Deno? Dino? Deno. Is it Emma? (laughs) I think it's, I think it's, I think it's Deno, but to be honest, I don't really know. I just know it has a dinosaur. Oh, okay. I love it. Um, I think, right? I think super cute. 
Okay. I just think about the land before time, but basically (laughs) my extensive knowledge is this. I've Googled the definition. So Deno is a runtime for JavaScript and TypeScript that's based on the V JavaScript engine and the Rust programming language. And Al, you mentioned it's almost an alternative to Node, Yeah, that's what I think it is pretty much is that instead of using Node, you would use Deno. So I don't know too much beyond that, but that's really what I do know is that uh, it's similar to Node where it interprets your JavaScript code. It's built on top of V8, similar to Chrome. And I believe Node is built on V8 too. So all of yes. these have it built together. And then the difference with it is it's supposed to be more secure because it's built in Rust. But outside of that, I don't know too much about it. I feel like this was one that was like, all the talk of the town for like a week last year and then kind of fell off of everybody's radar. <laughs> I, agree. I think it's cool. But wasn't there a controversy around it? I'm pretty sure there was some drama around it. Was Deno. there? No? Oh my no goodness. Idea. Probably. Here's, Probably. Here's my controversy I, I, though. Um, their <laughs> logo is something that I used to draw as a kid again and again. Um, <laughs> oh, I just I drew, like this was my version what of are it. You in- <laughs> Are you are you in super bad? Like what is I am this? so concerned oh that they went into my head. Kelly, I think you should see them. <laughs> so mean. I feel bad. But it's kind of like a worm instead of a dinosaur. I think it's a dinosaur, but it kind of looks like a worm. <laughs> it does look like a it, it looks, looks like, like a lot in the rain. Nessie the lot it looks like the Loch Ness Monster. It's very cute, though. I do, I, I do appreciate it. I appreciate it. This is not me trying to be mean. A sad worm <laughs> in the rain. It's, it's very cute. It just does look a little bit more worm than dinosaur. I am ready for it to, like, hold up a stereo, like, in the rain and just be like, I love you, all JavaScript developers. Please come back to me. That's what I'm thinking of with this right now. I'm so sorry, guys. This is hilarious. I love it. No, I think it's... I, I could talk about this logo all day because obviously I have very personal <laughs> feelings about it. Um, that was really weird when I Googled and I was like, wait, what? Um, anyway, uh, my <laughs> next topic, which is obviously something I'm going to bring up, which is super trendy, is e-commerce. Um, last year, uh, we saw the the just the general e- the landscape of e-commerce basically grow 10 years ahead. Um, the technologies that we were building out was everything was just basically like, what can we do to get businesses that are traditionally brick and mortar online now so they can keep their doors open and keep keep their employees staffed and all the all that good stuff. Um, e-commerce is not going anywhere. And there are more and more opportunities to jump onto the e-commerce train and specialize in this area. Um, whether it's Shopify or not, obviously, I'm team Shopify. You can build your own payment solution using Stripe. I mean, you can do all kinds of fun stuff with it. Highly, highly recommend looking into uh, a specialization in e-commerce if it's of interest to you. And ask me questions if you have any. We have an episode on Shopify as well where we talk to uh, CTO, JML. So we can link to that. I do. Oh, wait, I have a question. Yes. Um, why have you not made me spaghetti in a season five? Um, you have not showed up at my house. Uh, tact. Dang. <laughs> anyway, I'm kidding. You yeah, know what? When I was flying to, what trip was that? I was going to Scotland. And so, yeah, I was, I was flying through Germany and hung out with Emma for that day. I, I tweeted at TSA to ask if I could take spaghetti on the plane. Did they answer? If you had brought spaghetti on the plane, I wouldn't have eaten it. Exactly. That's why I didn't do it. Cause it'd be sitting out for nine hours. So 
they did say you can bring the spaghetti, like the, the, the pasta separately. And technically, if the sauce is frozen, it's not a liquid. Or if I just bring a smaller amount of it, I could do it. But again, it's sitting out for nine hours. So, you know what? I just came into my head. It was like, the, you know, the rainbow, like the more, you yeah. know, <laughs> that just popped through yeah. my head. Things we'll never use in real life. But anyway, let's wrap this up. By talking about our 21st trend for we have 2020. Two oh, gosh. <laughs> this we is do. the penultimate trend. <laughs> that that perfectly encapsulates, <laughs> like, what's going to happen this year. Let's talk about the 20th trend. <laughs> Allie, tell us about this, this acronym that you've written down. <laughs> uh, server-side rendering. So I feel like what's old is new again for this one as well. I don't know if... You all like learn like handlebars or EJS or ERB. Oh my god, I you hate learning. EJS. I hate it. Yeah, so yeah, freaking yeah. much. So these are all templating languages that you could use to essentially generate HTML, and you can still use them, but they've definitely fallen out of favor, I would say, over the last couple of years, and probably like rightfully so, at least in my opinion. Um, I guess I'm really hot takey today, but um, I love it. What old, what's old is new again, and server-side rendering is making a huge comeback. First off, these meta frameworks that we've been talking about have a huge emphasis on this. Uh, Next.js, I think Gatsby does SSR too. And then the really big news right before we went on break for the holidays is that React announced that they're actually going to be introducing React server components. They... What this is going to allow you to do is essentially write in React, but not make it so that your user has to download all that JavaScript code. So it's going to be really huge for web performance, but also for developer experience. Like you can still write that React code you like, but without having to add anything for your end user. So I'm really excited about that. It's kind of this old trend that's new again and I think it's really exciting because we can use modern tooling with server-side rendering instead of needing to use like a templating language. So I'm very excited about it. So, okay. My question is, I don't know this for a fact. Do we know if JSP is one of those templating languages? Is that the same thing? What's JSP? Let me look this up. I was just trying to come up with a random acronym. Java server pages? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's the same thing. Yeah. I hate them all. I hate them all right now. So we'll see how (laughs) React goes. That's my hot take. I am confrontational today. I love it. All right, Emma, here's your chance. Let's wrap things up. I think it's time to wrap things up with our 21st trend of 2021. Um, I don't know that this is necessarily a trend. I'm seeing this more and more in interviews, but also kind of on my timeline, and that's systems design. It's definitely becoming more prevalent in order to get development jobs. And when I started interviewing, when I joined the industry in 2015, this was not something I necessarily needed to know. But I think, um, you know, we've talked a lot about interviews before. We've got three episodes about them. And Allie has made this point before that how th- how interviews used to be run and what we needed to know to get a job in the past is not the same as what current developers need to know to get a job. Um, and so we, we really need to be mindful of that. And, and one of those things I'm noticing is systems design is becoming more prevalent, especially in the large enterprise companies, because generally they're going to have massive systems 
um, powering them. And so with both Google and Spotify, I had systems design interviews, and we're seeing a lot more systems design content popping up as well. And I think typically this was more of a back-end area because it deals with servers and latency and load balancing and caching and all of those things. Um, For me personally, my systems design interviews were centered around front-end. But that being said, it's still important to understand how do you architect applications? How do you deal with incoming traffic? um, What is the type of... um, like what things do you want to prioritize? Do you want to prioritize? Um, uh, I can't think. I, did we, we have, have a sign up sign episode? episode yeah. It was a pretty good one too. It was a really good one. And we talked about all these really hefty topics. So if you're interested in it, we'll link it in the show notes as I've well. I've noticed them be a thing for more like senior plus roles. So yeah. almost every like senior role and management role, I've seen that a systems design interview is like one of the spots. So I don't know if that's, why we're seeing it more is that we're becoming more more up there in our careers or if it's just become more of a thing that companies are doing. I feel like it makes sense to be a more, more senior level though in the sense that as you move up, you tend to focus more on the architecture as opposed to the direct implementation. So. Yeah. Though I did see somebody on Twitter say that they were getting one for like a junior role and that's like, no, you don't need to I know I feel this. so it's bad for what? that. And what it what company yeah no. like you should no. not you should not be making those types of decisions as a junior not like, at all i'm sorry yeah yikes we made it, <laughs> made it. <laughs> those are our 21 trends of 2021 guys uh now do we want we do to move to the shout outs <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um okay then um i'll go first so the shout out that i have i am super excited for this i don't know about you guys jocelyn harper miss sailor ghoul on twitter it has her get cute podcast uh she has a new book that is coming out so we will make sure that we link that uh what is it the rsvp list in the show notes a software engineer's guide to seniority i am super excited for this kudos congratulations to her super excited for this cannot wait to get this book how about you emma well i just want to second that because i'm super pumped for this i'm really happy to see jocelyn writing this too she's incredible by the way if you don't know she has her own podcast get Get cute Cute. i think you yeah highly recommend that as well she does an amazing job especially for doing it by, by herself um but i don't know if many people know this i'm not a senior engineer so, like, this is very helpful to me that she's writing this because I admire her in a lot of ways. But anyway, okay, this is not an episode of Standing <laughs> Jocelyn, though. Um, mine is also going to be a guide or a book. Mine is TypeScript in 50 Lessons, I mentioned earlier by uh, Stefan Baumgartner. Um, they uh, were nice. He was nice enough to send me a free copy. Um, he did not ask for anything in return, but I <laughs> probably because I was complaining about TypeScript <laughs> on Twitter every day. Um, and it's been really, really helpful for me. So shout out to Stefan. How about you, Alan? So it wouldn't be a Ladybug podcast episode if we didn't bring up Atomic Habits. <laughs> it's like our favorite book on the planet. <laughs> um, and I love that book. It is amazing. But I've been reading Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. And it covers a lot of the same material as Atomic Habits, but I am obsessed with it. So it has homework assignments after every single chapter, which I think is such a way to make the ideas from your book stick. It makes it so tangible. And there, I think the writing is even more accessible and like to the point than Atomic Habits is. So I love Atomic Habits. It's amazing. But if you're looking for something else, Tiny Habits, so great. 
that's that. me. I'm looking for for another book for that. Okay. So good. Okay. Kelly, what about yours? So I did not recommend a book. I recommended 20 instead. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Webb Smith, who is the founder of 2PM, published a list of 20 books to read for 2021. Happy to report that Atomic Habits is on the list. <laughs> so it better we're be. able to read <laughs> Um, it, he basically took like 50 books that he read last year and was like, here are the 20 that I feel like made the most impact for one reason or another. And he kind of goes into detail as to why. Um, and there are a number of books on here that I've been wanting to read as well, like High Output Management. I need to get past chapter two or three, whatever I'm on. Um, I haven't read Zero to One yet. Um, I will probably be skipping Moby Dick. God, that's such a long that. one. Skip yeah. it. It's not, it's not important. It's not important. Yeah. And then Extreme Ownership is another one I've been wanting to read as well. So um, linked to that in the show notes so you can check out that list of books. Highly, highly recommend. Woohoo. I am so excited for this year, guys. That is the end of our first episode of season five. I feel like that gives us a round of applause. We did it. That wasn't too crazy. Uh, but if you guys liked this episode, make sure you tweet about it. Make sure you comment about it. Make sure that you shout us out everywhere. And specifically, we will be selecting uh, one tweeter to win a front end master's license this week. So make sure that you do that. Make sure that you tweet at us. And just so you know, we post podcasts every Monday. So make sure you subscribe be notified, hit that notification button, and make sure that you leave us a five-star review. So that is on Apple Podcasts, that's on Google, that is on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am so excited to be here. This is Sydney, this is Allie, this is Emma, and this is Kelly. We are the Ladybug Podcast, and we'll see you next week. Bye.